From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and joining me for this episode is Jeff Perlman. He's the best-selling author of books like The Bad Guys Won on the 1986 Mets, Gunslinger about Brett Favre, and uh, Showtime about the 1980s Los Angeles Lakers. And he has a new book coming out next Tuesday, September 11, 2018, titled Football for a Buck, The Crazy Rise and Crazier Demise of the USFL. Jeff, welcome to the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV rating. You didn't mention that I'm also, as I do this, I'm taking my dishwasher. I did not, but the, yeah. the, the multitasking is good. <laughs> so, so, you know, when you, when, you, when you empty the dishwasher, you should focus on emptying the dishwasher. That's what the Zen people say. So can, can you, do you want me to let you do that? Or? I think I'm good. I can uh, handle both. I know where the plates go. <laughs> so uh, what drew you to the USL, USFL story, and uh, how, long had, uh, how long had you been baking on that? Um, well, I mean, I, I, I've wanted to write this book for a long, 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 long time. And uh, I kind of, I mean, I, I do go back to when I was a kid and growing up in Mayo Pack, New York. And I, you know, my family couldn't, we, we didn't get Sports Illustrated. We only got Sport Magazine because I was the only kid, who, I was the only person in my house who cared about sports. And I would um, I'd go to the Mayo Pack Public Library and read Sports Illustrated. And uh, I remember going once and they had this issue with Herschel Walker of the New Jersey Generals on the cover. And the, uh, it said Hitting Pay Dirt. That was the, the cover headline. Yeah. And it was him, and he looked like a freaking Greek god in his New Jersey General's uniform. And you open up, and they're all the helmets, and they're just these, you know, bursting sunshines and galloping stallions. And you're just, man, what the hell? You're a little, you're 10 years old, and it just blows your mind. And I remember my mind just being blown and just falling in love with this league, really falling in love with this league and everything unique about it and new and funky. And, and I stayed with me for years and years. and. I just always wanted to write a book about the USFL because I look back at it almost like a, like a puppy love I had where it came and went and it was just, why, why did that happen? Why did it go so quick? Why? What was it? And one of the beauties of being a writer is you get to go back in time and sort of dig and probe. Yeah, so uh, how, how much, I'm just curious, like how much of the, of the timing of this is, uh, is because Trump is in office or is it just, just purely coincidental and, uh, and good timing on your part? I don't know if it's good timing or bad timing, but it's 100% coincidental. I mean, I, someone actually, it's kind of funny, someone sent me an email the other day. I used to write out of a Borders in East Chester, New York, which doesn't exist anymore because Borders doesn't exist. And he's a guy, he wrote me, he's like, hey. I just want to let you know, I'm so psyched that you're finally getting to write the USFL book. I still have this email you sent me. And it was an email I wrote nine years ago where he was a reader and he asked me, um, he asked me, he's like, what's your dream book? And I was like, man, I just really want to write a book about the USFL. <laughs> and that was way before the idea of Tr- Donald Trump as president was yeah. even, you know. So I don't know if it's good timing or bad timing. I guess in a way it's good timing, but he's one of my least favorite subjects to talk about, you know, and I'm not a fan so it's kind of a weird time. As a as a you know as a president, I am not a fan. Well, he 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 doesn't have the greatest outcome in in the uh, in in the book. I'm imagining. Uh, so did, did you at least get uh, I don't know any kind of any kind of Schadenfreude on the look back or no? I mean, yeah. I mean, he you know he um, he ruined the USFL, <laughs> and I think that's where I think that's where a lot of my sort of early antagonism came from. Is this was a league I loved, and he came along and ruined it, and he really did. He uh, he bought in after a year. He took over as the owner of the New Jersey Generals. When he bought the team, he 
he sang the praises of spring football. Spring football is the best. This is going to be amazing. Yeah. I'm so honored to be in this league. And as soon as he got in, we need to move to fall. We need to move to fall. Fall is where the big boys are. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but his entire goal and mission was to get an NFL franchise. And he thought one way or another, we move to fall. We're either going to sue the NFL and they'll have to sort of, we'll win. And then, you know, we'll, we'll merge. Or at some point, the US of the NFL is just going to want to wave the white flag and they'll just, to end this all, they'll absorb a bunch of teams. And of course, they're going to want a team in New York City. So they'll take my team and put it in New York City. Yeah, that uh, that that makes a lot of sense. So I'm I'm wondering, like, in, in addition to just that, uh, it's something that you always wanted to do and has been baking for a while. But but once once you uh, put your mind to it, like, how long how long does something like that take? Can you can you can you give me an idea of like how many hours go into a project like that? Yeah, well, usually um, I take two to two and a half years to do a book. This one. I really had to beg to get this book deal. This is not an easy book deal to get. I actually attached it to a Brett Favre book deal. And um, ah. so I got the, the least amount of money I've ever received for a book just because it was a passion project. So um, I had a year. I had a year to do the whole thing. And I interviewed about 430 people. Wow. And I dug through mounds and mounds and mounds of articles. And I had a year. So it was a really frantic, hardcore year of USFL reporting and and researching. So I, I've noticed uh, as a sort of an internet countdown to the book, you've been doing uh, on your blog the uh, <laughs> the the top twenty five, the countdown to the uh, the number one uh-huh. uh, USFL player from uh, from your top twenty five. I think you're 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 up to like number eight seven. or so. I'm no, up number to seven. seven. Yeah, yeah. We're a week from today. Okay, so that makes sense. So uh, the question for you is like, when the USFL was fresh. Were you a big fan? I mean, were you on it like uh, some people are on uh, the Giants and the Jets? Were you on the Generals like that? I was. Um, I was. I was a. Uh, I can tell you all you need. I can tell you. You know, their first quarterback was Bobby Scott, who had been Archie Manning's backup in New Orleans, and then after he was terrible, and they traded him to Chicago. And after '83, they went with. Uh, in '84, they signed Brian Seif from the Cleveland Browns, and he was okay. And then they went for Flutie, and they had. They had a 1,000-yard backfield where Herschel Walker and his fullback Maurice Carthon both rushed yep. for 1,000 yards. And Yeah, man, I was. I, I, was, I, was all about, I was all about the USFL, and I was really big into the Generals because they were my local team, and I just was enjoying I never went to a game. My parents didn't really take me to sporting events. It um, wasn't a family thing to do, but I did love and watch the Generals. So, so is it fair to say, like, say, say, sort of like relative to the, you know, your age group peers, uh, you really were uh, saddened by the demise of the USFL when it when it actually went when it when the demise happened. You were unhappy about it. Oh, it was heartbreaking. Um, I think at that age, I didn't understand the business intricacies of it. I mean, I ended up there was a book that was written in 1986 called The One Dollar League that um, sort of explained the demise of the USFL. That I read. It's kind of funny. People describe it as a dry and boring book, and I read that thing. I just soaked that thing up and loved it. <laughs> So um, I've always defended that book, and um, that kind of helped me understand what happened. But I didn't. To me, it was like, well, how? What, the thing is, what do you mean? Is USFL is leaving? Like, how is that even possible? This is. It's, no, that doesn't make sense. I didn't. Yeah, it was very, very. The thing about the USFL, it's a, it's for me as a kid, it was way beyond the generals. Even it was just like, the colors were amazing. Like if you Google Arizona Outlaws, it was the Oklahoma Outlaws and the Arizona Wranglers merged. And they were the coolest uniforms you will ever see in your life. Or Houston Gamblers. And they had 
these awesome black and red helmets, and Jim Kelly was the quarterback. Right. And they had a bunch of like five nine receivers who could run four two forties. You know, they, it was like it was the Portland Breakers moving from Boston and New Orleans to Portland. You know, it was the Chicago Blitz and the Arizona Wranglers actually being traded for one another. The entire team is being <laughs> traded for one another. It's just a million different things that made the USFL really unique to me. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to the book. That is out on uh, on Tuesday, the September 11th. 11th. Yeah. And uh, so, I, I, you know, since you were so gracious, sort of you put yourself out there, and, and any any podcasters listening, uh, Jeff, mm-hmm. Jeff is willing to do your podcast if you, if you yep. bug him. Uh, since you're you don't so, even have to bug me. I'll <laughs> do it. <laughs> it's true. It is true. Yeah. You don't have to pest. You don't have to be a pest. So uh, since you were so gracious, I, I, I didn't want to bug you for uh, pre-release links to the e-book or the audio book. Uh, so I went and I, uh, over, over the Labor Day weekend, I, I listened to... Uh, uh, your your book on on Showtime, uh, oh, Magic Magic Kareem Riley and the Los Angeles Lakers Dynasty of the 1980s, and uh, I, I saw your comments about maybe the narrator narrator for the audio book on on the USFL. I, I just want to chime in that the the guy on Showtime was was fantastic. It was uh it was a, a really well done uh, audio book production, and it was a great great story. Um, and, and so I'm just wondering, like in your process, um. Uh, you're you're so detail oriented, and and I, I just curious to me, like, um, do you know going in, I am somehow going to work Jerry Buss's chest hair into this somewhere, or does that just come out in the flow of of no. about it? No, you don't know. You uh, you basically have a uh, you know, like Showtime. I knew the book was about the arrival of Magic to Magic's HIV announcement, and I knew sort of the chronology of what the championships were and what the disappointing years were. Pat Riley arrives, blah, blah, blah. You basically have a skeleton and then you fill it in with everything, you know? So you report and you get little nuggets like Jerry Buss's chest hair. And, you know, as soon as you get those, you sort of highlight it and you say, man, that's awesome. And I can use that, but you don't, um, yeah, it's not, I feel like the, the worst thing you can do with a book is go in knowing what you're going to write. I mean, it's all a big surprise. You know, that, it's kind of funny. When you write a book proposal, you're supposed to explain to the, to the uh, publishing houses what the book is going to be. And I always think it's a very flawed idea because if you're really doing this well, you don't know what the book is going to be. That's right. the whole point of reporting and interviewing a gazillion people is to find out everything. So, um, no, I did, not know, I did not know about Jerry Buss's chest hair <laughs> and his role in the uh, – he did have great chest hair, though. I can't take that away from him. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm I'm just curious about the about the whole thing because that that's uh, you know that story is just so rich in the details, uh, and I learned a lot of stuff like that. Uh, just sort of in my normal uh, view of of uh, watching sports media commentary, uh, I would say, for example, now the next time I hear Jerry West is such a raving genius, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna think that he's a genius, but I'm going to kind of know the context for which he's a genius, um, you know, th- through stuff like your book. And, and I'm wondering, like, what kind of feedback do you get from people when you write these books? Like, do you hear from Kareem? Do you, did you hear from Jerry West saying, what are you doing? Or, or, or do you not hear anything from those guys? You actually don't hear that much. You tend to hear, um, every now and then you'll hear from a, like a smaller character. Generally, the big characters don't reach out to you because they kind of see it as beneath them. So the right. idea that Magic Johnson would call me and be like, hey, I re- this just doesn't happen that often, you know? Um, so I remember, for example, I wrote, my first book ever was about the 1986 New York Mets, and it was right. called The Bad Guys One. And 
I was supposed to appear on a TV show with two of the main characters, uh, Ron Darling and Lenny Dykstra, who were both on the Mets. And it was in L.A. They flew me to L.A. from New York. And I was really nervous because I hadn't talked to anyone about the books who had been in the books since it came out. And I know Darling and Dykstra are going to be there. And I show up, and the producer says to me, yeah, so Lenny Dykstra's not going to do the show with you. He's really angry about the book. <laughs> and I'm thinking, crap, because I'm about to see Ron Darling. So what am I going to get from Ron Darling? And Ron Darling comes up to me, and he says, Jeff, you nailed it. That book was so good, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so you just never know. You, know, you, never, I was, you just never know what people are going to think. It's because it's weird. It's weird for people to read about themselves from someone else's vantage point. You know, it's just uncomfortable. And you may think you nailed it as a writer, but you, I can't jump in somebody's head. I don't know literally what Herschel Walker was thinking as he took a handoff from Brian Seip. I don't, I don't know. So you do your best and you report your best, but you can't read someone's mind. That's the flaw in the whole process. So I, I'm, I'm curious, like, what, what do you think about, uh, like, someone like Kareem's Maybe he's having a little bit of a of a media renaissance at at uh, this late stage in his life. Uh, that that I I honestly have only noticed sort of post uh, mm-hmm. your book being written in, in twenty fourteen. Is is it a surprise to you to see see Kareem out there and kind of you know maybe doing a little bit of a image rebranding and and that kind of thing? I think it's great actually. You know, like I I had really uh, I don't know how well it came off in the book. I had sympathy for him. To me. His sort of, I mean, he was a jerk to the media. There's no doubt about it. But sometimes, in fact, all the times, there's, there's always a reason we are how we are. And, you know, Kareem had been a museum piece from the time he was yep. a high schooler. Not even before that, because he was so tall and so outstanding in basketball. So he became this kind of reclusive character. And what you had was a really, really intelligent man who just sort of felt compelled to hide in bathroom stalls. Literally, when they were in the airports, you would hide in bathroom stalls. So to see him now, uh, it seems like much more comfortable in his skin, sort of embracing the public eye more. I don't think it's him thinking, oh, I need to rebrand myself. I think it's him finally sort of becoming comfortable and also being seen as an academic, not as a basketball player, which is probably a more comfortable and suitable role for him in many ways. So uh, I wanted to, if you don't mind, I wanted to, to pick your brain about the, uh, the, the Nick Saban-Maria Taylor interview from the other day because I saw you I saw you make some comments on that and I feel like this is like one sports media issue where I may be on the I'm on the wrong side of the tracks because because I took a lot of heat for for some of what I was saying but I just wasn't that outraged by Nick Saban kind of acting like a spaz during an interview and that that's kind of how I saw it I saw like he wasn't being uh you know he wasn't being sexist he wasn't advocating for uh, spousal abuse he he was being kind of a an over-the-top jerk but consistent like with what i would expect from a head coach and um i was surprised by the outrage that i saw over that given given all of the stuff that we that we have out there to to be outraged about and, and uh, yeah. i'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that um i mean i would say first of all like in the grand scheme of everything it's not a very big deal you know but ultimately, who gives a crap? It's just a coach having an angry moment. And uh, apparently he apologized, which to me is great and fine, and now you just move on and it's not yep. a big deal. I mean, my main thing is when you cover enough college coaches, especially college football and Division I college basketball, these guys really do get a God complex about them where they think what they're doing is you know rocket science or you know uh, life-saving surgery. And... <laughs> 
It's like you're coaching a football team. You're coaching a bunch of 18 and 19 year old kids on a college football field. It's not very important. It's not that big a deal. It's entertainment and little more. So guys like Saban, like Bill Belichick, uh, Pat Riley used to do this. They just drive me crazy with the self-importance, you know, and, and it didn't matter if she was a woman or young or that, like she's someone trying to do her job. Right. That's it. She's trying to do her job and to be a jerk, someone trying to just do their job just felt unnecessary. I wasn't, I wasn't, um, it's one of those things. Everyone tweets about it at the same time. So it seems like yes. everyone is really upset. And I think yes. the truth of the matter is it was a very passing and fleeting moment. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. So, uh, from your perspective, like what are the most important sports media stories that you're watching? Like, uh, do you, do you care about the, the NFL and kneeling or do you think there's more important things to focus on? Well, I mean, in the world, there are a million more important things to focus on in sports. I think, um, I think it's going to be, it's going to go down as the, the sort of battle of our times in, in pro sports is kneeling and the NFL sort of deference to the president um, who sees it as this wedge issue. I mean, clearly he sees yeah. this as this beautiful wedge issue for him yeah. and little more, but the NFL has taken the bait. Um, I love that the players kneel. I do. I love it. I think standing up for yourself, there's a long history in sports, college and professional of an amateur of, of athletes standing for themselves and taking a stand that should be applauded. I love that Nike put its brand behind Colin Kaepernick. Thought yep. that was ballsy. Um, so I, yeah, I guess it's the most important story right now because every sports is generally entertainment. I mean, you know, the pennant race isn't very important. It's entertaining, but it's not very important. But this, there are definite social implications in a very turbulent time for our country um, that parallel sports. So it's hard to trump that as far as importance. So, so is there a from from your point of view is that are, are are there good angles to come at at it from and uh and angles that we should definitely stay away from when we're trying to think about it so one thing like i'm i you know at least formerly i'm i'm a i'm a ratings guy and so i have to think about things like in the context of well are just wherever people come down are people sick enough of hearing about it that, that, that they're, they're going to start tuning out on the NFL? You know, are, are those reasonable questions to ask or, or, or am I soul, a soulless jerk if I think about it in those terms? I think it's realistic. Um, I think it's depressing, but I think it's realistic. I mean, I thought Jamel Hill at ESPN um, was one of the first to take a real stand and, yep. and, and, and take a stand on something. And she's paid for her opinion. That is what she does. And I thought ESPN treated her really badly for it. I think they looked at the ratings, looked at the heat from Donald Trump, looked at the NFL. They want to have their in a relationship with the NFL and they made a business decision and it sucks. I hate that. I understand it, um, but I'm not happy about it. So to, I mean, they're all businesses. And they are businesses. They do need to make money. They're in this to make money. Um, but it just seems like people are less willing, uh, corporations, I guess, are less willing to take stands that matter than maybe they, they used to be. Yeah, uh, and I, I look at uh, ESPN maybe a little bit like you, you look at the NFL in the same way. By, by going the route that the NFL went, 
You know, the NFL can't win now because Trump will use that as a wedge no matter what. And he's doing the exact same thing with ESPN. And he doesn't care that CBS handles the anthem the, uh, the same way that ESPN does. Crushing ESPN plays to his base in ways that crushing C- CBS doesn't. So he's going to keep doing that. And I don't see how ESPN really wins in that, in that deal either. I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on that. He doesn't even care that they're kneeling. That's the whole thing. That's the whole con of it all. He doesn't give a crap whether NFL players are kneeling. He's not some patriot. Again, I keep saying this. Like Five deferments mocked a POW who was uh, held in Vietnam for five years, spent four years um, questioning the birthplace and legitimacy of the sitting United States president. Don't give me any of your nonsense about patriotism, that you're some patriot and all of a sudden you care about the flag. You've never shown – on 9-11, he went on TV. I am a New Yorker. I was in New York. He went on TV boasting that now he had the tallest building in Manhattan. <laughs> he lied about people celebrating um, yeah. in New Jersey atop a building as, as, a, as the towers are falling down. He lied about the charity charitable donations he did not make to 9-11 causes. Do not talk to me about freaking patriotism when you've never shown an ounce of it. I mean, give me a break. Yeah, it infuriates I, me that we've all taken the bait and we've fallen for that. No patriotism whatsoever. It, the, the one issue that gets me mad right there is when people fall for this. Because if you're going to have someone speak about patriotism, at least make it someone who served this country or has done something for this country. Yeah, and, 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 you know, and if, if you'll show me all the people who, are, who, who saw uh, Jerry Jones just wave his son off about taking his hat off during the anthem. Exactly. And, and, and just, just said, screw it. Like, if you show me all the people who are mad at that, then, then, uh, then maybe I'll buy into some of the patriotism. But uh, until then, yeah, it's, it's just, it is, it is. It is the worst part of it. And honestly, um, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm still in distress over that, uh, you know, that the ratings in themselves became something that, to, you know, for people to use to validate, you know, their worldviews, whether, you know, whether it be that the, the anthem is bad or having Jamel on SportsCenter is bad. Uh, it was really depressing for me to see ratings get used in that kind of way. But that, that's the world we live in now. And uh, that is not going to change, I don't think. No, it's pretty grim, man. <laughs> so so uh, how, how do I brace for that and still and still keep on smiling? <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy. I, uh, uh, you seem I to be smiling to me. Uh, no, not really. I'm, um, you're okay eating during a podcast. How unhappy can you be? Oh, sorry. I took a bite there. <laughs> I, um, no, I am, uh, I know I'm very unhappy. I'm not happy. I love this country. I'm really sad by what's going on. It, it breaks my heart. I can't believe, you know, when you research a book about a guy and you see, and I mean, it wasn't even about Trump, but when you see what he did to the league, Yep. And it was all selfishness, and it was all ego, and it was all about him. And then you see the same movie being played out, except it's your country this time. Yep. It's crushing. It's hard. It's not easy. It's really freaking painful. So um, I have my, my family's great. You know, I live in Southern California. It's a great place to live. Yep. I get to write books for a living. That's great. My life is pretty sweet. But what kind of jackass would I be if just because things are going well for me personally – I don't mourn for sort of a country that I love in real, you know, peril. So will, will I, will I be able to reconcile Trump any better via, via reading your book? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think you'll certainly understand him because it explains kind of, it's not a Trump book, but it definitely can be viewed parts of it as an origin story for how he emerged and what he is and sort of the, the birth. I mean, 
it's kind of funny. Like you hear him talking about fake news all the time. Well, he used to use a fake publicist <laughs> when he was, when he was, you know, the owner of the New Jersey generals, he had a, he would disguise his voice and he would call people as John Barron on behalf of Mr. Trump. Like you're talking about fake news. The guy had fake time magazine covers hanging <laughs> in his golf club. Okay. You're talking about fake news. It's just crazy, right? It's crazy. I, I don't mean to go into this tangent, but oh, you're the voice. It. You're the anti-immigrant. You're the anti-immigration voice. And look who you're married to. And by the way, the very, the very genre of immigration you're opposed to was just used by your wife's parents. Like, we are, the world is upside down. Truly, this world is upside down right now. It is insane that the guy, the... Blue-collar America has found their champion in Donald Trump, a man who built his empire by not paying contractors and then suing them when they would file a complaint. This is the voice of, of working-class America? What? It's crazy. It, it, it is crazy. All right, well, I, I'll get you out of here with couple, hopefully a couple of fun ones. So first of all, uh, where's the Jeff Perlman podcast? Is that, is that going to be a thing? Is that going to be happening? I have a happen? podcast. You I do have a podcast. have a podcast. It's called Two Writers Singing Yang. It's uh, I, every week I interview a different writer. Yep. Uh, say the name again. Two writers. <laughs> slinging Yang. Slinging Yang. Oh, yeah. Shit. Two writers Excuse slinging me. Yang. Another yep. podcast for me to listen to. Okay. Well, I will. Uh, I will look that up and and, and definitely get the get the link in yeah, for, for that. Uh, and uh, so so just ca- sort of coming up in the uh, other than other than your book release of the book tour. Uh, which I'm sure you're very excited about. Um, what sports-wise are you really looking forward to over the next few months, so say between now and New Year's? Oh, it's so funny. I'm very intrigued by the uh, – there's a new spring football league coming next year, the Alliance yeah. uh, of American Football. I'm very fascinated by that. Very, very fascinated by that. Because um, I, I think there are a lot of uh, – a lot of traces of the, uh, of the USFL and the spirit of the USFL. I am, uh, as a Californian, I'm very intrigued by LeBron James coming to LA. Yep. Obviously you have to be, it's a really interesting story. Uh, a lot of respect for that guy. Um, and also my, uh, my daughter's water, my daughter's water polo, uh, season approaching high school water polo. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah that, that, is, that is nice. So, uh, so just, just real quick on LeBron, although maybe this doesn't end, end it on a great note. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, what do you make of, of people who just make sort of um, going at LeBron is how they earn their money? And that is how they earn their money. And they don't really do anything else except go at LeBron. Uh, how, how, do, how, how do you recommend sort of people uh, deal with that? I, I, I deal with that by ignoring them, but I, I wonder if there's a better way. To, to deal with that. I think you're right. But I, I, uh, I mean, it's all entertainment. That's the one thing that's important. It's all skip Bayless bashes on LeBron. Well, who cares? It's just entertainment. Some guy sitting in a studio bashing on LeBron James. It doesn't really matter. And, um, but I do think, I mean, I tell my kids, LeBron is a uh, generational athlete. Yeah. Um, and he also reminds me a lot in a very good way of the outspoken athletes of the past who are willing to sort of put, you know, I grew up Michael Jordan saying, you know, uh, Republicans, Republicans buy shoes, shoes too, yep. and and to me that is not it's not just do it you know it's not air whatever blah blah it's Republicans wear shoes too that sort of dismissing of social responsibility and um, LeBron is the antithesis of that I love it I just think he's a really impressive stand up human being who also happens to be a tremendous basketball player so I don't people can say what they want I. I'm not one to embrace athletes. I'm not one to, oh, this guy's the best. This guy's not. We all have flaws. 
he just seems like a special kind of guy in many ways. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Jeff, thanks for joining. The, uh, the upcoming book is Football for a Buck, The Crazy Rise and Crazier Demise of the USFL. That'll, that'll be on Amazon and wherever else you buy your books. And yep. uh, Jeff, and the, uh, the podcast is Two Riders Slinging Yang, and uh, I'll make sure to start listening to that one. Uh, Jeff, thanks very much for joining the podcast. Oh, thank you. It. it was a delight. Thank you. Thanks again to Jeff Perlman for joining the podcast. I'm really looking forward to uh, reading or listening to his new book, Football for a Buck. The Crazy Rise and Crazier Demise of the USFL. That is out on Tuesday, September 11th. And uh, thanks to uh, to Twitter follower uh, Ed Sheriffs. I hope I pronounced that right. He's at EFS120 on Twitter. Uh, he saw Jeff's uh, pitch to uh, that he would make himself available for anyone's podcast and uh, recommended that I ask Jeff, and uh, I did, and that worked very well. That's a, that's better booking than I normally get uh, doing it myself. So thank you, Ed, and thank you, Jeff. Thanks for listening.